The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Mark, and we're in Mark chapter 8 this morning, and all the songs that were sung this morning really tie into the, to the message this morning and what we're going to be looking at. And then uh, to give Ryan a little extra break, I'll be uh, sharing with you next Sunday as well. So I'm basically going to cover the entire chapter of Mark 8, and we'll see kind of how we, how we do with that. Um, Ryan is doing better. Uh, when the uh, spinal block wore off on Wednesday after surgery, he said, I have never experienced pain like that in my life. And so keep praying for Ryan. Uh, he is doing better. Every day gets a little better. Um, um, yes. <laughs> He's a big boy, but you know when you're hurting, you're hurting, right? Right? So anyway, okay, let's, uh, let's begin in prayer. Father, we just thank you this morning that we can all come together and we can share in truths from your word that even today can change our lives in many different kinds of ways. Your Holy Spirit, Lord, is so incredibly powerful to deal with each one of us in our hearts. And, and in fact, all of those who are meeting today on, on, on a worship day all around the world, you can deal with us, Lord. You can talk to us. It's amazing. You are faithful. We want to remember that this morning. So I just pray that you'll give each one of us a very open heart. Allow the Spirit to say specific things to each one of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And we also pray, Lord, that you will continue to heal Ryan and bring him up. And, uh, Lord, there are many people in the body that are facing different things as well. And uh, even some key medical appointments coming up this next week, uh, some test results that are coming for a few people and things of that sort, Lord. We want to pray for each one of those folks. And we just thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark, chapter 8. If you've got your cell phone or Bible or whatever you have, you can turn there. <clears throat> in the second generation of Israel... And as they were preparing to um, enter the promised land, Moses read them the entire book of Deuteronomy, which means second law. So he's sitting down with these two million people, and he's preparing them. This is the second generation, and they're getting ready to follow Joshua into the promised land. And this is what he writes in a couple of verses. Deuteronomy 7, 9, and 10. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments, but repays to those who hate him, to their faces, to destroy them. He will not delay with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. God was preparing Israel for warfare. That's why Joshua is one of my very favorite books in the Old Testament because it's, it's the Christian life. We face warfare. Things come our way. God allows them. God knows about them. But it's war, and sometimes we're fighting, and it's difficult. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, just how do we remember that God is faithful? Because over the years, there's one verse that 
in times of stress or difficulty or when I'm questioning God in some kind of way, and that happens to all of us. I've probably quoted this verse, and maybe you have as well, I don't know, maybe a million times, I don't know. It just, it just calms my heart. Would you, uh, would you quote it with me? It's on the screen, I think. There it is. Let's say it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight, or he will direct your path. So how do we remember that God is faithful? Just three simple things this morning. Number one, bring your problems to God. Bring your problems to God. Now, a problem is a difficult or a harmful situation that you wish you didn't have. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a problem, would it? Okay? It needs to be dealt with. It needs to be overcome. And, and what are you going to be facing this morning? Some of it, all of us, maybe all of us, have something in our lives right now that we're facing. Maybe something at home, something at work, uh, some sort of struggle, situation, decision, whatever's coming into our life. It might be something internal, something emotional, something depressing, uh, just something that's going on in our life. I want you to kind of bring whatever that need or problem is, just bring it up in your mind right now, and I'd like you to take it out of your mind and kind of figuratively put it in your lap. You're sitting there, just stick it in your lap. Just kind of hold on to it, okay? It's an issue. We want to see what God is going to do this morning with, with whatever it is that's, that we're dealing with. The verse under point one is from Second Chronicles. It says, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the entire earth, that he may strongly support those who heart, whose heart is completely his. Isn't that a great promise? God, even at this moment, is looking all around the planet, finding people whose heart is completely his, and he strongly is supporting them. That includes us this morning. God is supporting you as you give him your heart. He's, he's giving it all to you, and he's allowing you to begin to understand how he can help you. Now, in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 1 and 6, it says, In those days, when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now for three days and they've got nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way and some of them have come from a great distance. And the disciples answered him and said, well, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them, and they served them to the people. Now, we just talked, Ryan just talked a few weeks ago about feeding of the 5,000, right? So this is the same kind of situation. We don't know if it was a few days or a couple of weeks or maybe even a month or more. 
And all of a sudden, now Jesus is teaching again, and the situation has arisen again. And the disciples, again, are not sure what's going to happen. So it's a difficult situation. Now, I want to ask you, who determined the need at this moment? Who was it? It was Jesus. Jesus said, I feel sorry for these folks. They've got a need. They're hungry. We've been together three days. They haven't eaten. He says, if I send them away, they're going to faint as they are on their way home. Now, that just tells me a very simple thing. God is aware of our needs, and he cares. Amen? He's aware. He knows specifically what your problem is, what your need, what your situation, your circumstance, your challenge. He knows, he cares, and he understands. And he's looking down the road, and he says, you know, if all these people, and again, you know, when it says 4,000 men, it means men plus women and children. So we're looking at 15, 20,000. Who knows? That's a large group of people. Christ hears, follows our need. Let me ask you something. When he broke that bread and started passing it, where did the miracle happen? Where did it happen? I saw a movie not too long ago, and um, kind of strange, but when they depicted this miracle, all of a sudden, a big pile of bread showed up on the ground, and a big pile of fish. And I'm looking at that, and I'm saying, uh-uh. didn't happen that way. It happened with the people. If it were happening right here among us today, and we were passing the bread to each person, that bread in some miraculous way was continuing to multiply itself. What do you call that? You call that creation, don't you? If you've got a molecule of something, you've got a loaf of bread, and all of a sudden now you've got two, now you've got ten, now you've got a hundred, that's creation. Creation, by definition, is creating something from what? Nothing. God is a creator. When Jesus did his first miracle in Cana, he took water, H2O, created it into wine. Good wine. First-class wine. The, the little symbol for H2O was pretty small, the symbol in letters for wine is about two inches long. So that water totally changed into a very complex product. That's creation. If you can do that with wine and bread, you can do that with a universe, right? I mean, you're speaking something into existence that doesn't exist. And you know what? God also creates solutions to problems. Now, it's probably not going to happen, probably, but I know of miracles that have happened around the world. I've traveled to India many times with groups of people sharing Christ. I'm amazed at some of the things I've heard. God creates solutions. 
also a problem in your life is like a button. And when it gets pressed, or when God allows it, or like Ryan Falling trying to be a super NBA basketball star, <laughs> five minutes out of uh, 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 a little time that we were spending over in Apollo Beach trying to help with a, a group of people sharing Christ door to door, he goes out for five minutes and just makes a, a, a wonderful cut, and all of a sudden he's on the ground. Now, are we all affected? We're all affected. Ryan's friends on Facebook, which are many, are all affected too. God uses a button to affect a lot of lives. So when something's happening to you, just don't think about just you. I mean, I'm, that's natural. I mean, when, when I'm going to the hospital at midnight and I can't even, barely even communicate because I'm in pain that I've never experienced in my life, it was the pain of death. I really thought that. That's a button that God pushed. Other people were affected. Other people along the way. Other people helping you solve your problem. All of those things have to do with what God is going to be doing in your life, and he's faithful to do it. So don't worry about the solution. It will come. Answers and timing are up to God. When I was a kid, I went to the dentist, and he never used Novocaine on me, and I had a lot of cavities. How would you like that? After a few appointments over my young life, I finally thought of this one day. I said, you know what? Because I would worry about that as soon as I found out there was an appointment in a couple of weeks. And I said to myself, I'm not sitting in the dentist chair, so why am I worrying? I'll wait until the day of the appointment, and then I will worry. I just decided, why put myself through all this agony? In fact, some of us do that with problems that will never happen, right? We've, we've got, we just got to trust God that the future is his, and he tells us to live one day at a time, not even to worry about tomorrow. So that's how God wants us to deal with this. And you can count on the Lord. He is faithful in all things. In fact, Matthew 6, 8 says, Your heavenly Father knows your needs before you ask. You say, well, if he knows my needs, then why am I praying? Because asking means you're going to the right source. Amen? You're going to the right source. And in Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount, same same teaching in that section of scripture, 5, 6, and 7, Matthew 7, Jesus says, ask and you will what? Receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Do you realize that's a process? When you're asking, you're going to the right place. You are going to God. You're not going to yourself, you're going to God. Seeking means you're moving towards a solution. You're on the way. And then you get to the door, and you're knocking, and God opens it. That's a process. So asking is like a child that doesn't ask their parents about what they're going to do. We know that that's because they want to do something their parents wouldn't allow them to do. So the idea is, God says, I know your needs, but come to me. 
come to me. We'll talk about that in the next point. Ask. You will receive. Seek. You will find. Knock. The door will be open. Take the process. Allow God to do that. We were doing door-to-door evangelism in our church. We did it in our community. And it just happened that two of the elders, Don and Donnie, were part of the team, and they were going to houses. They went to this lady's house. The door was open, but the screen door was shut. And they walked up, rang the doorbell. The lady came to the screen door, and um, Don said, uh, we're here from Palomar Community Church. We just want to uh, welcome you or invite you to church, and is there anything we can pray about? The lady didn't say a word, except she did hold up her keys and said, I was just going out to find God. People say, oh, I don't know about going door to door. Listen, that's all we do when we go to India. Brian's been there too once, met Peter. Peter, incredible guy. Started at least 5,000 house churches by going door to door. Some people open it like Jesus sent out the, the disciples. Some people open their doors, some people don't. But the ones who do, it's an incredible miracle that happens when you watch God working in people's lives. So they went into this lady's house, shared the gospel with her. She became a Christian. Because they were asking, seeking, and knocking. And God was opening doors for them. God will open doors for us. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, God says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you at the proper time. The proper time. Comma, as you're casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. So God is saying, please humble yourself. Come to me. Bring your problem to me. Cast your cares on me. Take them out of your lap. I literally have done this many times in my life. I take that problem, I've set it in my lap, and I consciously kind of put my hand around it, and I move it over to Jesus' lap. Because I, I, want, I want to show him that I trust his faithfulness, and I move it over. Maybe right now, as you're sitting here, you might want to do that. Maybe you're not ready yet. Maybe that'll be point two. We'll see. Point two in your outline says don't rely what? On your own plans. Okay? Easy to do. We do it a lot. But God says don't rely on your own plans. Solutions are his. Intelligence, we think, wow, we're intelligent. We can figure this out. Sometimes we've actually seen God work in our life We've prayed, we've asked him, we've trusted him. And then a similar problem emerges and we say, Lord, I remember what you did last time. <clears throat> I think I can do it by myself. And we go after the next problem on our own. God says, don't do that. You know, there was only one Jericho, right? We don't see lots of Jerichos in the Bible, just one. And if you realize that God really is going to probably handle each problem differently. It's not going to be a duplication. 
It's going to be different. So when you have a different situation, then God is saying, I just want you to keep trusting me again and again and again all through your life. Learn how to, how to just give things over to God, follow him. He'll keep you involved, I guarantee you that. He'll keep your feelings, your emotions, and your ideas. He'll use all of that, but he's bringing that into your heart as you're going through something. That's why James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. And prior to that, James says, well, now, when you get a trial and a problem, count it all joy, because it's doing something in your life. It's accomplishing something. It's making you stronger, like you go to the gym. I finally got my wife to go to the gym with me after 20 years. Now she's the one who's asking, can we go to the gym? I like working those machines. I like doing those things. My uh, Ryan's brother, Trent, I'm sure Trent can press, at least bench press 300 pounds. So just a couple days ago, Melanie says, Trent, how did you get like that? He says, three hours a day in the gym. Three hours a day. Well, I've been in the gym. I still can't press more than 60. <laughs> because I only spent about maybe a half an hour. But if I wanted to be the Incredible Hulk at my age, maybe that I could pull that off. But I don't know. I doubt it. I just doubt it. Paul says bodily exercise isn't that great anyway. <laughs> I still need to be in shape, don't I? We all need to do something that keeps us in shape, that helps us. I'm real proud of Raffi for losing 50 pounds. And I was talking to him last night at Ree's party, and I and, uh, said, how'd you do that? He said, I've been walking. I've been drinking a shake at night instead of dinner. I mean, there's things to do, right? Well, don't rely on your own plans. Look at the verse that's there. Commit your what? Activities to the Lord, and your plans will be what? Established. The mind of man plans his way. We've got ideas, okay? But the Lord directs his steps. Now, there's a warning that comes along here in Mark chapter 8. It's in verses 11 to 15. They left where they were, they got in the boat, and they moved to another district. And at that point, the Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in the spirit, he said, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side, and they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them, and he was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Well, the Pharisees started an argument with Jesus. They wanted him to show off. They wanted a blockbuster sign. They wanted an Academy Award-winning sign. And Jesus said, I'm not in show business. He really never wanted to do that, even on earth. Many people that he healed, he says, I don't want you to tell anybody. 
wasn't a matter of show. He warns his disciples, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. Leaven in the New Testament stands for corruption. That's the idea that when you put leaven in a loaf of bread, it permeates the whole loaf. So if sin gets into our life and things even that we're going to be discussing at the this parent forum, those kind of things will just begin to permeate our lives and, and do some great damage. So watch out, Jesus says. Watch out for the corruption and the tactics of the world because the devil is a father of lies. He's a murderer. And even these religious Pharisees were trying to figure out a way to kill Christ because he was really convicting them in their lives. Religious leaders planning, planning to kill the Lord of the universe. Amazing. That's the devil's plan. The devil's plan started back in the garden, didn't it? Let me ask you a question. Why do you think Eve fell? God said, you've got the whole garden, but there's one tree I don't want you to eat from. Why do you think she fell? She simply mistrusted the goodness of God. She didn't trust that he was faithful. Faithful, trustworthy, believable, all the same words in the Greek. You can interchange them. They mean the same thing. Eve fell because she doubted that God was a good God. She doubted that God was willing to help her and <clears throat> continue to provide for her, and she went an entirely different way. Then she comes to her husband. He does the same thing, and away they go. Sometimes we believe that the world's got a better plan, that there's books we can read, that we can solve our issues by going to a lot of people and, and, and asking their advice, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as we've gone to God first and checked in and said, Lord, would you lead me to the right people? Because sometimes do we go to the wrong people? Sometimes we ask advice of people who don't know God, aren't following God, aren't trusting God. Sometimes they're our friends at school. Sometimes they're people that just don't have any kind of connection to the word of God at all or don't believe it. And then here we're asking for some kind of advice and, and direction from people like, when I want counsel, I want to go to a godly person. I've done that all of my life. There's presidents of seminaries. There are guys that I grew up with. There's John MacArthur, who's a good friend. He's four years older than me. And you know I, I know him personally, Rick Warren. We started our churches together, all those kind of things. People like that, you want to go to people, a president of a Western Seminary in Oregon, Rodmacher, Earl Rodmacher. I said, I'm thinking about being a senior pastor. What do you think? He says, well, you're going to have to hold the umbrella for everybody else. I never thought of it that way. Just these little gems of counsel and wisdom from wise people. Always go to wise, godly people for advice. And the best person you can start with is who? God. <clears throat> Oswald Chambers says, 
probably the most, I'm not going to quote this right, but he says probably the most significant thing that is ever said in the New Testament is when Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are laboring, burdened, stressed out, heavy laden, overworked, etc., etc. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I'm the big ox. You're the little ox. I'll train you. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. The only two words that Jesus ever used in the Bible to describe himself. Gentle and humble. I'll gently help you through this issue you're dealing with. I'll teach you humility because I'm humble. And then Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. We don't need to turn to ourselves or to godly people in the world, or ungodly people in the world like Pharisees. Even though they were religious leaders, we don't need to turn to the leaven of Pharisees. It's not a good thing. Be careful. Be careful. So if that problem is still in your lap, maybe you want to shift it over right now. Huh? Shift it over, okay? It's God's. He's got a reason for it. He's going to train us. He's going to teach us. And it's his. It can be, it can be anything. Anything you struggle with. Anything that tempts you. Anything, any sin that you're working on that you want to get out of your life, you want to throw it away, and it's a struggle. Anything like that, God is for you. Point three in your outline. Remember God's blessings in the past. Look at the verse. What does it say? Don't worry about what? Anything. But in everything, through prayer, you can quote it with me, through prayer and with and petition, with what? Thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Most of us know this. The trick is, get right there. The doctor told Ryan, he says, when this spinal block wears off, this pain is going to hit you like a ton of bricks. And it did. And Ryan said, I've never, I've never gone through this before. I don't know what this is like. It's new territory. When you go to the gym, it's sort of new territory, especially when you keep cranking up the numbers, right? 50 pounds, 70 pounds, 90 pounds, 110 pounds. Then you got a little knob that kind of sticks in another 5 or another 10. And you keep working to get stronger. God spiritually is working on us to get stronger so that we can take what we've learned, pass it to others. We can be an encouragement to others. 2 Corinthians first. First chapter of 2 Corinthians says, the things that you struggle with now help other people with their struggles. 
That's why we got a family. That's why we're a church. That's why we're together. We're supposed to share each other's load. We're supposed to care for the burdens that we all have together. That's what we do. We help each other. So thanking God, and that's one of the things I just want to emphasize in this verse. Yeah, we're not supposed to worry, okay? Anxiety is not a great thing. And everything by prayer. And anxiety will come. But deal with it right away. In fact, I remember one lady, she said, Man, she says, I pray, I give, I give this to God. And she says, 10 minutes later, I've taken it right back. I said, then you pray this prayer 10 minutes later. And maybe the next time you, you could make that prayer last for maybe a half an hour. And then you take it back, pray it again. Just like the gym, he's going back to the same piece of equipment to try to get a little stronger with it. But it, you just got to keep doing it until finally you've, you've told the devil, I'm not messing around with that anymore. It's done. Worst time in my life was in seminary. The worst time. I thought I was Mr. Super Christian. Super spiritual. I was going to learn this Bible. I'm going to tell people I'm going to do. And it was me, me, me. It was pride, pride. But I never saw it until God took my peace away. And I feel like, I felt like I'm out in space. It's dark out here. I'm attached to nothing. I'm floating. This is a scary place to be. And you're depressed. I understand depression with people. Because I've gone through some of that. I had a great elder, pastor of a, a, a large church in the Middle West, was one of my elders out in California. He's gone through probably two or three years of depression. God is, he's a great guy. He's a great preaching, loving God pastor. But he's, he's really gone through it. It's been difficult, very difficult. We go through things, and we help each other. Look what Joshua said to Israel just before he died. He says, today I'm going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your soul that not one word of the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. Not one of them has failed. Joshua said, folks, Look at how God has led us. Nothing has failed that he's told us. And with Israel in the wilderness, God said, I led you 40 years. Your feet didn't swell. Your shoes didn't wear out. God is faithful. So, in Mark, at the end, it says they began to discuss with one another. Now they're going to another place. The fact that they had no bread, and Jesus aware of this, said, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Don't you see or yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? You have eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said what? Twelve. And when I broke the seven, Good morning, for Chapel the five, family. I'm so glad you're able to come and join the family for worship this morning. I'm unable. 
No, that's not God, that's Ryan. <laughs> He's cutting in here. Oh, thank you very much there, Corey. That's all right. Anyway, and then he said, I broke the seven for the five, 4,000, and how many baskets did you pick up? Seven. Okay? They had five loaves, pick up 12 baskets. Seven loaves, picked up seven baskets twice. Jesus says, can't you remember? Can't you remember? Sounds like us, doesn't it? And I'm just going to encourage you this morning, when that happens to you, and your faith gets shaken with something that you're going through, and maybe it's not now, maybe it's tomorrow when you go to work, maybe it's next month, I don't know. Make a list in your mind or write it on a piece of paper and go back in your history of life that you knew God. For me, my salvation at nine, my commitment to God at 15, my decision to follow God, not go to pre-med school, but go to music school, big change. And then I dated a gal in college, then I went to Biola, and then my, I was going to leave Biola and go, to, go up north to, to work with my youth pastor. And I called him on a payphone, payphone, and said, Royal, I can't come. God's telling me I need more training, so I went to seminary. I'm not a great student. I like to get out and do things, but the books and all that, you know. But I knew, I knew I needed training. Dated a girl for two years in college. We decided we weren't meant for each other put dating aside, and then I said, God, you tell me when it's time for me to have a partner, if I need a partner, and I was pretty sure I did. <laughs> and then, not too long after God kind of gave me a green light in my heart, Melody came along. We were in the same college group. She kissed me when I brought her a, a jug of punch on the cheek on the cheek. She will not admit that. She's not in this service. That's okay. Right? And all of those things, and God, then we got married. We couldn't have children. We went to infertility. Six years. We, we, we tried things. You know how you do. And then we said, God probably wants us to adopt. So we adopted our first son. And then three years later, we adopted another doctor. And those were miracle adoptions because the doctor had a long list of people when she went to him. And all of a sudden, at the bottom of the list, after she had prayed and said, God, if you don't want us to have children, it's okay. Because I had prayed that just a couple of weeks before. And when I knew that she had, all of a sudden, we knew that we're on the same page. We're in the right spot for God to do what he wants to do. Because you've got to give it all up, right? You give it all up, and then God does what he wants to do and gives you what he wants to give you. So bingo, the doctor calls, says, this could be a good match for you. And then Melody is praying, I'm praying, and uh, 16 years after marriage, John comes along. Melody's on the table, C-section, all made up like a model. Dead from the waist down. My brother-in-law is doing the C-section. I've got the camera. 
I mean, it's a ball in there. We're having a blast. <laughs> the anesthesiologist was as nervous as he could be. He says, he says, I don't know why I'm doing this. Anyway, and she's on the table praying, saying to me, do you think God would be upset if I prayed for a girl in another three years? Then Amy came along. And then life moved, ministry moved, and now we're in Florida. I'm a California guy. We're in Florida. And I'm serving at the chapel any way that I can. I'm doing um, my mortgage loan business, which I've been doing for 10 years. That's when I left uh, doing interim pastoral work and said, I want to do it get into the business world. I want to see what you guys are facing. How do you live for Christ? How do you witness to your clients? How do you lead people to the Lord? How do you help your boss? We, we were involved in saving two marriages out in California in our office. It was great. They were, they were going to walk. But the Lord, and now they've got the strongest marriages. So even in the business world, God can give you ministry because that's your mission field, Right? Wherever you are, your neighborhood, your family, and your business, you spend a lot of time in your business. Boy, why aren't we? I had an elder who led 60 people to Christ in his eyeglass factory. It wasn't his. He was one of three managers. He just had, he was a quiet guy. He just left his Bible on his desk. And people came to him because they knew that God was working in his life because he would tell them. He would explain. It's the greatest way to witness Tell people what God's done for you, the problems he solved, the, the blessings given to you and your family. All you got to do is say one of those to somebody, and all of a sudden they'll know that God's in your life, and they may ask you some questions. You may have a chance to lead them to Christ. That's what we do. That's our ministry. So I want you to think about that. Yes, we're talking about problems. But problems have a purpose. And that purpose is what God wants to accomplish in making us salt and light to a lost world. When God does a wonder in your life, share the wonder. When he does a miracle, share the miracle. Keep passing it along. Keep remembering all the things. Make the list when you're depressed. Make the list and pray the list. Say, God, I'm going to think through everything. I've done that so many times in my life when I've gotten really nervous, upset, and, you know, and then I realize, gee, I've got to wait. I've got to wait. I've got to wait. I've got to wait on the Lord. Abraham waited 25 years for the promise that God had made him 25 years earlier. Part of the plan. Last verse, let's read it together. Those, it's on the screen, read it with me. Those who wait, hope for the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. doesn't say we're going to be strong all the time. It says we need to be renewed. And the word wait and hope in the Hebrew are the same word. When you're waiting, you're hoping. When you're hoping, you're waiting. 
You're waiting. You're hoping. God says, I want you to renew your strength. By the way, humans don't fly. But it says we're going to soar like eagles. We're going to fly over our problems at certain points in our life. We're going to do things that are impossible because God's the God of the possible. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for the miracles you do. Thank you for what you've shown us in the Bible, how you dealt with so many difficult situations in people's lives, and you were faithful. Not one of your promises failed. Not one. God, help us to trust you with what we're going through right now and to transfer whatever concerns us at whatever point in time into your lap, and then we will work with you, follow you as you lead us through. Lord, if there's anyone this morning here who has never asked Christ into their heart, maybe this morning is the time to trust a faithful God. Say, God, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus loves me and he's faithful. Lord, may that person just ask you into their heart right now. In Jesus' name, amen.